Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. How do you embrace change? Not only for yourself, but also for your team and your clients. Today's guest not only thrives with change, but believes it is essential for the long-term success of life and business. Patty Jolber is the owner of Compliments Home Interiors in Bend, Oregon, not to mention a designer, contractor, coach, and board member of Bend Film. In this conversation, we talk a lot about change, learning new things, and the role of failure in business. She also shares what she learns from others as a coach and the value of nurturing a creative community. If you're struggling with change, I think you'll find a way forward in this conversation with Patty. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 635. I thought we would start here because when I went to your Instagram feed, I saw this quote from Coco Chanel that says, an interior is the natural projection of the soul. I mean, wow. (laughs) Where do you start with that? Well. You know, what I love about that quote is it really inspires me to believe the best that can, the best can happen in any project that we do. We create inspiring homes that really work. We work hard to make our clients feel not only comfortable, but so happy and inspired to fall back in love with their homes. Mm. Because I think that People, you know, we just like we fall in and out of love with our spouses, right. we fall in and out of love with our homes and and we come back around to, oh, wow, this is the spot where I want to be. If you stay in the home long enough, you you recognize that. Yeah, that's really interesting because it, it took me probably, I want to say it took me about 10 years to really fall in love with my own home. Like for the first 10 years, I don't know if I really liked it. That's common. And you know, for us, I, I'm a contractor as well as a designer. So I'm in a unique position to take something, take my vision and then and and the client's vision and really help them to understand the full scope of what we can do to create this not just beautiful space, mm-hmm. because creating a beautiful space is one thing, but creating a beautiful space that's comfortable and that functions is really what drives me. I want the space to always have function first and comfort and beauty right behind that. So, you know, I don't want a living room to look so pretty that you don't ever want to sit in it or enjoy it. You don't want to lay on the floor. You don't want to, you know, play games in there with your kids or throw the ball for your dog. I want it to always be a place of comfort. I think sometimes designers get a bad rap because we create these beautiful spaces, but we don't make them practical. And so that I'm, I'm the practical designer. I, I always want, I want the energy of the home and the energy of the owner to meld mm-hmm. and be able to feel like when you walk in, you go, Oh, I'm so glad I'm home. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Was it always an intent of yours to be both a contractor and a designer instead of one or the other? No. Um, it's interesting. In the state of Oregon, I learned this after I opened my business. As an interior designer, I could design, I could sell product, 
but I could not ever give anybody the, I, I couldn't send an installer to do any of my creations hmm. um, without having my contractor's license. So it's, the 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 first time that you even even as something as simple as a window covering as a blind or a drape if you are having some if you're having a subcontractor go into someone's house you need to have your contractor's license oh wow and it it was a probably four or five years in when i realized it and i had kind of a a scare if you will um i was working on a project where i was doing exactly what I was qualified to do, but I got called out by the city of Bend and they red flagged this project. Well, someone had asked me to come in to design, to sell them product. And then they asked me for recommendations of people to use, which I gave them. I never, never did anything beyond that, but it made me realize, no, I really need to have my contractor's license because exactly that. So I promptly got it and didn't really use it much more than installing drapes and blinds and you know maybe a few other things most of the things that i did to begin with were working with builders who wanted me to help their clients or help them with a spec home and then from there during the recession i had three or four people reach out to me to do remodels mm-hmm. and i fell in love with the remodel section of this business and it took off from there and i'm probably at the point where maybe 80 percent of my business maybe 90 is it are remodels wow and where i'm the contractor we take it all the way from i have two senior designers working for me and an operations person who does all the mm-hmm. back-end project management and scheduling and procurement and we take it all the way from start to finish and it's wow. such a gratifying feeling yeah i just i love how i mean that is a great illustration of how when you're open to change and step into change that it can transform you in ways you never thought possible yes i agree and i i really feel as small business owners if you're not constantly either learning or pivoting or looking ahead at what you can do better how you can improve yourself, improve your business, improve all of your processes. My processes are constantly in flux. Yeah, I I used to drive one of my old employees nuts because I'd say, okay, we're going to try this. Oh, no, that didn't work. Let's try it this way. Mm -hmm. So I am really curious about how I can make the experience for my clients and the experience for my employees the best possible. How can I constantly improve my business so that it's a place that I feel proud of. Have you always been that comfortable personally with change as it sounds? I mean, it sounds like you've mastered something that many don't. Um, Yes, actually I have. I've always, I, you know, in call right out of college, I moved to Mexico city uh, six days out, drove my little Volkswagen beetle down and, in 1983 and lived there for two and a half years and it was such a great experience and moved from there back to california back to or to puerto rico i moved a lot in the first probably 10 years 11 years after college and then was living in scottsdale and met my now husband and fell in love and moved to bend and so yeah 
I am. I'm really comfortable with change and it, it makes me uncomfortable. And usually when there, something gives you discomfort, it means that you're on the edge of change. And I like that. Mm. Yeah. How do you, I guess, internalize change in a way that allows... I don't know. There, there's a relationship with change personally, but then when you have teams involved, change can be very challenging to manage. So yes. how do you make it safe, I guess, for others to deal with change? Yeah. I love that question. Um, I guess thinking through what the process is going to look like, what that change is going to look like for them to try and make it as positive as possible to have them understand what the benefit of the change is to them mm. it's not just to me but what the benefit is going to be to my employees over just doing something the same old way mm. so you know I, I i think i referred to her previously but i had a um an employee who was very resistant to change and because of her i she, because she was the person, you know, um, when I do my coaching, we talk about being a who, a what, a why, or a what if person. And she was a what if person. She was constantly saying, well, but if you do that, what if this happens? And I finally got to the point where I stopped bringing up new things mm -hmm. because it was so frustrating. She She questioned every single change I wanted to make. When she left, my business has accelerated mm -hmm. and um, she was such a wonderful employee in so many ways. She took deep ownership, but but she stifled creativity. She stifled change. Mm -hmm. So I think I thrive on change and I thrive on um, what that does to my business what it does to me personally how it makes me inspired to constantly grow yeah and what i love about that too is as an interior designer as a contractor i mean design is all about change yes it's about as as small as subtle as the change of color all the way to trends to regional influences to global influences exactly i mean yes. i mean it's like surfing in a sea of change exactly constantly and 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 yet respecting somebody's respecting my client's desire to stay comfortable within there i you know one of the things i learned early on in design is everybody lives within a box your box might be large it might be small but we all have boundaries within that box and you don't really want to take somebody too far out of their boundaries or they're going to be really really uncomfortable wow wow i mean i was going to ask how does good design make a home comfortable i think you just said it in a pretty metaphysical way <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's uh it, it Good design. Well, you know, let's we'll we'll tap into that because good design makes a home comfortable. And I can use my own living room as a perfect example. For many years, I had a rectangular um, coffee table sitting in front of my sofa, and it was you know a normal size, average, nice, beautiful, custom made, but normal size. 
uh, coffee table, but nobody ever wanted to sit in my living room and I couldn't figure it out. And I finally decided, okay, I'm tired of this coffee table. I want a new coffee table. And I brought in a round coffee table. And it may be as simple as the comfort of walking around something, having that table, that round table changed my entire um, comfort level in that room. And now I spend every morning drinking my coffee in there. My husband and I sit and talk and drink coffee and read. We play games in there. We have a chess table, a chess set set up on, on the coffee table. My children play chess there. We play um, every night. We play cribbage, you know, so it became truly a living room yeah. versus a, a, a sterile spot where nobody felt comfortable. And I think that that kind of describes everything. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's so interesting that we often think of change as this giant, you know, changing everything when in reality, it can be the simple shape of a table. Exactly. Exactly. It can be adding or taking away furniture. If there's too much furniture, it makes a room uncomfortable and feel claustrophobic or adding a couple of chairs so that you can have this group setting and really contain it. It can be adding an area rug to warm up a room with that echoes. It can be very simple or, you know, or you can tear the whole house down and start over. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is fun too. Yeah, too. Yeah, we do all of those things. And when you walk into someone's home, are you able to see what it is or is it through conversation that it unfolds what's needed? I'm going to say yes, because it's both, <laughs> because we really want to know the personality of the person and the personality of the home. Mm -hmm. And we do, you know, sometimes it can be as simple. I'm just finishing a project of a house that was built in 1984 in Sun River. And those houses are, this house had six steps walking up into it and six and four steps walking down into a living room. And then you had to step up into the dining room and then step up again into the kitchen. So when I walked in the house immediately, I could look at that and see that if we took everything down to one level, it was immediately not going to feel chopped up and not going to feel, uh, it was going to feel more comfortable for everyone. And then the homeowner had an idea of removing this closet and opening up their kitchen. And I hadn't thought of that. So it, it becomes this melding of the minds of how can we work together so that their vision and my vision become the same vision. Yeah. It sounds to me, too, there's a process of getting your ego out of the way as the designer, in quotes, Oh and gosh, that designing partner. Absolutely. We have zero ego in our business. I, you know, since the beginning, it has always been about my client and what they're looking for. It, you know, when people ask me what my style is, I say, it's not important. My style isn't important. It's the style of you and the style of your home is what's important. Yeah. So how can we make it? So I'm never going to live in your house. You are right. I want to make it so that people feel so safe and they feel like their home is their sanctuary. They really feel like, wow, not only are they proud to have people in, but they're, they're so happy to be in that house and comfortable. Yeah. I'm so curious. How did you escape 
the trappings of uh, that sometimes come with design, and I'll say design in general, not just interior design, but you know, sometimes it can be about the personality of the designer, and they get trapped in it. You know, I I don't know. I, that's just not who I am. It's not really a part of my personality. I don't, you know, I'm, I, I, I won't say that I'm not proud when I make my clients happy, but that's, it really is about them and making them happy versus making me feel good. Cause right. there are homes that I don't like particularly, but yeah. my clients do. And that's really what's important is yeah. that they like it. Yeah. Uh, you know, ultimately, I, I've never been that designer that I felt like I needed to be on the cover of Architectural Digest. I never felt like being published was, it was never my shtick. I, I just wanted solid business principles, design principles, a way to create a safe and happy home for people. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, too, that's how you're able to provide a sense of stability when everything is changing. You keep to those principles. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And and really, one of the things that I, I learned from the, the um, coaching, from being a, a mentee, was to define your business values, your core values, and stick with them and really hire and fire to those core values and making sure that your values and your employees values are aligned and that you're constantly you're 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 staying true to your core values but you're also reexamining them mm-hmm. at least once a year to make sure that they are true and if they're not true get rid of one or two of them and bring in what is true. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because like it sounds like coaching is new in what you're doing. And yet, as you look back over the last 20 years of of being a designer and, and a con- contractor and all of the things that you've done, sounds like there's been a lot of the things that you're learning now that you've just naturally done. It, yes, very much so. I just have definition behind. <laughs> exactly. Behind it. Yeah. Yes. Um, you're absolutely right. There are things though that I know that I that I know now that I did not know then. Yeah. You know, really examining, taking a hard, long, hard look at my financials constantly. And I always have. Um, I'm grateful. My husband used to be a banker, and so he really forced me to learn how to read my financials and how to understand what my net profit was, what my gross profit was, what my overhead is. So, so that I am well aware of Mm -hmm. all of it, but it's been driven home with the coaching, you know, it's such a overarching um, theme within what we do within the coaching community of what we do. We take businesses and tear them completely apart and then put them back together in a way that someone can understand. And then, and then they go through the coaching for a year and then, you know, it's, it's a three to five year process of coaching our coaching. So it's not, it's not a short and, you know, we don't just throw you back into the world. You go through this (laughs) experience and, and then, Good luck. Right. Now, this is a really tight knit community of people that stay together for years and years and years. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. 
it's interesting too because like in some areas of coaching it's there's an emphasis on immediate change uh whereas i love that you just said it's a three to five year process and that it takes time and that's something that sometimes we avoid we avoid things that take time because we want that immediate gratification well you know it's interesting so what we do for the immediate gratification we take care of both of those things so we do something called a vip experience and that's three days on zoom it's basically getting your mba in three days <laughs> that's where we tear the business apart yeah they, they spend five weeks prior to that or eight weeks prior to that uploading information about their business so we get to dive deep and then talk about all sorts of things, the culture, the mission, the marketing, and then team and how and we bring so many and then we really dive deep into their financials and how we can improve their financials. And so those three days, you feel like you've been firehosed completely. <laughs> yeah. And after that, um, then you start coaching a month later. And so that really is the that's the pivotal point of change is coming into that first experience with a beginner's mindset and understanding how incredibly um removing your ego out of this and saying okay i know i'm doing a few things right but what can i do better how can i really improve my process my my business you know it's it really has nothing to do with the business of di design and everything to do with running a business yeah and i think a lot of people go into starting their own business and recognize holy crap i don't like this <laughs> it's hard it's really really hard so they they either go out of business and come back to working for somebody else or they end up coming to someone like us after a few years and recognizing that they need help. Yeah. That's wonderful. It's, it's amazing. I mean, we have people who go on to, you know, people in my mastermind group that have gone on to do three to $6 million a year. Wow. Yeah. They're incredible. Yeah. And I imagine that probably has taken what you've done for 20 years and helped you to see what the next 20 could possibly be. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I love that too. Cause as you're coaching, I mean, how often do you see one or two things up for yourself that you could change in the midst of tearing down someone else's business? Absolutely. I often, often it really helps me to have my beginner mindset space open and and ready to to listen at how somebody might do a process differently than myself and maybe that can help me mm -hmm. yeah. and i love it i i feel so grateful because you know just like when we have children the children teach us so much more than we'll ever teach them mm -hmm. it's no different than being a mentor and a mentee and i learn from every single person I work with. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I love that. Just taking that in because it, it, there's so much in what you just said. I, I I'm just kind of I'm I'm stopped in my tracks a little bit <laughs> just because it's just there's so many like ways to go off in this conversation. Yeah. As, far as you know what what we could all learn from. 
Yeah, I, I, I really do believe if you can approach life with a beginner's mindset constantly, because I, you know, I tell, I have two, two boys who are both adults and I tell them, you know, never stop learning, never stop learning. If, if, if you stop learning, you, you stop living. You, yeah. It's so, so impressed. It's so important to understand when you failed and failing means you're failing upward. If yeah. you, if you, if you are able to look at what you're doing and recognize, oh, you know, I tried this. I'm sorry, it didn't work. Let's try something new. Let me try something better. That's what I think is just crucial is yeah. it, you, you, you throw your ego out mm-hmm. in this whole process. Oh. Ego just has no place. Yeah. Um, you can be successful and not have an ego. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, I, I feel strongly that it's mostly about how can I, how can I keep learning just constantly, constantly learning. Yeah. Earlier we, we were talking about how change, you know, change personally, change as a team and change with your clients. But you just met, met, mentioned failure and and failure. I mean, you're managing failure as yourself. You're you're managing failure as a team. Yes. Then you know how do you handle failure in that client relationship? Oh boy, and that is such a great question. And I am dealing with it right now. I'm dealing with you know a designer who worked for me for a couple of years and left, and then I am picking up the the small messes and big messes that she created. And I look at that as, again, I have to take accountability and that I hired this person. Mm-hmm. I thought I had trained her mm-hmm. and I, the, the things that she's left behind show me that I didn't do as good a job as I should have. So there's my accountability. Now I need to address with my clients, how can I, I'm going to fix this. Don't don't worry. I will always stand behind everything I do. And it's it again, it's a learning process for me. Here I am 20 years in. Yeah. And it's a learning process for me to recognize that it's okay to fail, but it's also okay to be transparent about that failure and say, you know what, we screwed up. I'm sorry. It's not about what's happened. It's about how we're going to make it right going forward. We're in a very custom business of there's always a way to fail. And then there's always two solutions at least (laughs) as to how we can fix that failure. Yes. Thank you for speaking to that so much. Cause I think for a lot of the creative entrepreneurs that I have talked with that I've been in conversation with about their businesses. I mean, failure is one of those areas where we never want to admit it because it doesn't look good on social media, but it's like, it's a part of business. It's a part of business. I am, it doesn't ever feel good. You know, we talked early on in this conversation, we talked about that pit in your stomach and that usually is something that needs to be addressed and failure, you know, just in talking to you about this, it gives me a pit in my stomach. Yeah. But it also is so crucial that it's discussed and that it's recognized 
you're not going to do everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. You're not. We are not. I have clients who are perfectionists and and coaching clients and you know remodel clients who are perfectionists. And I try and set the expectation that there is no such thing as perfection. Is when when humans are building anything. We, do, we are not perfect. We are not machines. We do the very best we can. And sometimes stuff happens. Yeah. Have to account for, we have to be forgiving of both ourselves and others. And that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes is to be, it's always, for me, it's easier to forgive myself than others, but I'm also recognized that we need to forgive others because they're just as human and failure prone as the rest of us. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I love that you said you're more willing at times to forgive yourself than others, whereas I'm the exact opposite. Like I'm more willing to forgive others, but when it comes to forgiving myself, you know, that's, I mean, yeah, that's just hard it, to do. It is hard. It yeah. is hard. And, you know, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's a 50-50 thing. And maybe it depends <laughs> on the situation yeah. as well as maybe more situational. But I, I I do think by taking accountability in our life when we do have these mess ups, large or small, it it helps us move on from them much quick, much more quickly. And it gives us the ability to to maybe not make that exact same mistake a second time. Yeah. Not always, but so what would you say has been the secret of success or the secret of longevity for your business? Having clients who appreciate what we do and how we do it. I would tell you that right now I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight clients who are repeat clients and we're doing their second, third, fourth, either remodel or room and they come back because they feel like they can trust us yeah trust us to do it well to do it right they know that they're going to be safe in our hands i love that because i think longevity isn't something that i think a lot of people think about no we think about the here and the now but uh, it is possible to have a long-term business and be successful yes absolutely and, you know, it's really looking at your business backwards. So if you can see, yeah, I know that sounds funny, I but like you look at it. And when I mean backwards, I'm saying you're going to build a 10 year plan mm-hmm. and then you're going to look at it at seven, five, three, one. And then you're going to say, okay, now I need to build quarterly plans mm-hmm. and then monthly plans. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? So by that, that's what I mean. You're really looking forward, but then slicing it backwards. So I want to be, you know, a $5 million business in 10 years. Oh, great. How am I going to get there? Well, that just sounds so overwhelming. In seven (laughs) years, in seven years, I'm going to be that $4 million business. And how am I getting there? So in five years, I'm going to be a $3 million business. Okay. So this year I want to be 1.5 million. So I'm going to do this in marketing and I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to get this many leads and, and you're going to break it down. So it's, it really is a way to visualize what your business looks like Mm long-term 
and um, break it down into much smaller chunks that are that are bite-sized chunks. And it works with not just financial goals, but every goal, right? Oh, every goal. Yeah. I mean, I hate marketing. It's taken me years to understand, you know, Amy, who reached out to you, I hired her um, in January and she does my marketing. And it takes so much of that off my shoulders that I have much more bandwidth to do things that I do well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's understanding what you do well and what where your delegation skills mm-hmm. come in. As my husband will tell you, I'm really good at delegating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at telling other people what to do and how to do it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. I mean, and that's the crucial piece of delegation too, is is telling people what you need them to do and how to do it. Right. I love that two piece, you know, definition there. Yes. And I also, you know, I I won't say I'm the best communicator, but I do think that it's crucial that we learn the style of the person we're talking to and communicate with them in the way that works best. At what point did getting involved in the community enter who you are as a person? You know, probably not till about five years ago, I really started looking at community. That's not true. I've been in, I, I've been involved in my local subdivision. I was on their architectural review committee for years. I was on it for five years and then was off of it and then was on it for another five years and then recognized I wanted to do more. And that's when I joined the Ben Film Festival um, or Ben Film we're really not just a festival we're so much more um so the ben film community and then shortly after that started coaching as well so i i I find that um all of those things while they're different communities they're all community and i love the feeling of community and being able to both give back and take from that community yeah it definitely feeds my soul yeah what 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 brought you to film Um, you know, what brought me to film is I felt like I was doing so much work on my business. I needed something that was lighter. I needed (laughs) something that was fun. And while I, you know, (laughs) and I say that, and I watched a lot of really dark films over the last week at our film festival. Um, but yeah, I, I needed something that had a joyous, uh, component to it something that brought other people joy as well. So. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And it's it it brings such a perspective to industry as well because like some people that are in film would be like there's nothing light and joyous about this. <laughs> I'm dying. Here. Oh, of course it's so hard. It's such a really hard business. I have a niece and a nephew-in-law who are both in the industry and it, you know similar to design people look from the outside in and only see the fruits of their labor they don't actually see the labor itself and the labor the behind the scenes is so incredibly torturous <laughs> and, and you know um our our indie woman of the year was tamara jenkins tamara jenkins um who did the slums of beverly hills and she did private life and a movie called savage and she talks about taking a film from writing it all the way through production through directing and production and it's she said it was 10 years each one of her films has taken 10 years and 
So I look at that and see how torturous it is and how difficult it is to actually be, I I look at it as very similar to what I do. It's torturous. Nobody sees all the things that happen when you tear a wall apart or you pull carpet up and find an inch and a half of tile and mortar (laughs) under carpet. And you have to tell the homeowner, guess what? That's going to be another $4,000 to pull this out. And and that's torturous. (laughs) Um, All they see is the beautiful hardwood that we've put down. They see the, you know, the final product and it's beautiful and so torturous. You know, many of our projects take they start at they I've had projects that take two to three years. They're not quick. And our clients get frustrated and we have to explain to them this is not a quick process. Neither pulling permits nor doing the design nor doing the actual work is it quick. And it's it, it takes a long time and it takes patience on our part and patience on our clients' part. Yeah. Sorry, I went on a big no, giant tangent there. <laughs> that was fantastic, though, because I think the all of this is speaking to a labor of love. Yes, very and, much. And we wouldn't do these things that can be torturous, that can be challenging, that can be driven, that drive us to tears, but also laugh with elation as we release something into the public. And and I think. You know, that's the whole point of getting work to work is that we want to be able to share through the highs and the lows what we love with people. Yes, exactly. 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 Yeah. Oh, Patty, this has been so fun talking with you. I mean, you've got me thinking in ways that I just I'm so grateful for. And I just appreciate the way that you that the way that you just share the wisdom and the years of experiences that you've that you've wrestled with yourself. Thank you. I appreciate that. And this has been really um, so fun. And I really have enjoyed talking about it and you helping me to think deeper as well and, and really to kind of pull those tidbits out. <laughs> yeah. Well, as we wrap up our time together, what's one thing you want listeners to take away from our conversation? Not to be afraid of failure. I think that uh, in whatever people are doing, failure gives us an opportunity to learn. You know, it goes back to um, Thomas Edison. You know, he didn't he didn't create a light bulb on the first go. It it, it took a whole bunch of failure, but he didn't give up. He, He knew that it was possible. And when I think when people start a business recognizing that failure is just another step along the way it's not a it's not a definition of who you are being fired is not a definition of who you are it's a definition of who you get to become you get to learn from these mistakes you know i i think we we have these unrealistic expectations out in the world right now of you know, all these people who were overnight successes, and I say that with quotations around overnight, and nobody was an overnight success. Yes, they had amazing ideas, but those ideas, you know, Microsoft and Apple and all of those things came with failure. They came with disappointment and it's showing up every day. It's 
the slog. I don't care what business anybody is in. It's a slog to show up every single day and to be able to do what you do every single day and find somebody who's appreciating what you do every single day. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. I mean, I, I'm approaching year 17 of, wow. of doing my business and I've, I've, it's gone like very left, right, up, down, back, forward. I mean, it, it's been not what I ever expected it to be. No, normal. I think one of the things that I love about being self-employed and having my own business is, is recognizing the journey you've been on and excited for what's to come. Yes, I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, final question for you. What book, podcast, or resource is currently blowing your mind right now? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I love the, the the founders of Pearl Collective, which is my coaching company. Um, I love Creative Genius from them. It really addresses how interior businesses can run more efficiently. But, it, but I'm going to back it up and say two. The other one I love is Jay Shetty's On Purpose. Mm. It is always stretching my brain and it makes me want to be a better human. I nice. love it. Love listening to him. There were a few quotes that I took from this episode, but if there's one that I'm going to end with, it's this. If you stop learning, you stop living. What can you learn today? But not only that, combine it with the story that Patty told about changing the simple shape of a coffee table. All it takes is one small thing. One small thing to learn, one small way to live again. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.